Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Do you have those friends in your life? You know the friends I'm talking about, the ones who always have these incredible stories but they always seem a little too strange or too far out there to actually be real. Well, our guest today is one of those unique individuals who has incredible stories and he's able to back up the things that he says because he is really able to connect with people in order to accomplish amazing things. In fact, his day job is to make the impossible possible. And a few of the projects he has made possible for others include getting married by the Pope in the Vatican, being serenaded by Andre Bocelli, and connecting with powerful business moguls like Elon Musk and Sir Elton John. Our guest has been called the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine and is a best-selling author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He is a sought-after consultant and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard. Here is Steve Sims. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm really excited about today's interview and today's discussion. But before we get started with that, I have a few questions that I like to ask every person I have on to help us to get to know you better as a person, as a leader, and to give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'll answer. <laughs> What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? That is my dad, a big bricklayer of a fella. He said, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Transparent, direct, and solid. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? This one needs explaining, but where did it go wrong? Too many people look at the um, the celebration of anything. You know, they come out of a business meeting and they close the deal and they went, oh, I just closed it. And they celebrate all the victories and they absolutely should. But to be able to celebrate more victories, you've always got to be fine tuning. No matter how good an event I throw, no matter how good um, a conference call or a proposal or a pitch that I've done, I ask myself, and I do this whenever I come off a stage, I go, okay. What went wrong? Now, you may have done the best speech ever to the largest crowd and everyone did a standing ovation, but if you can find one way of tweaking it and make it better, then the next one will be even better. So focus on where things went wrong, not always where they went right, because your greatest growth comes from finding those mistakes and those faults. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Oh, to leaders. Oh, it depends on your mindset. I would say probably anything by Jay Abraham. If no one knows who Jay Abraham is, then fall on you for a start. 
But <laughs> he was very large. I suppose his heyday was the 80s and 90s, and he was the, the guy that really knew about how to build a business and how to make a sale. And he was all about communication and how to find someone's problem and discover. And then the internet came along that made him kind of like irrelevant. Uh, and I'm being harsh here because I love him, and he's actually my next-door neighbor. But uh, what happened was as we grew into a more of a social world, we became worse at becoming social and our ability to communicate actually went down. The funny thing is that whatever Jay taught us in the 80s and 90s, I think is more relevant today because of our inability to connect and communicate than it was back then. So anything by Jay Abraham will get you ahead of the curve. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Order an appetizer that you've never touched. Sounds stupid, but we do that in our house. My point is that I never want to be in the same mental space or growth space uh, next month that I am today. So whenever I go to a restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, Italian, whatever, nine times out of 10 people will order the appetizers they've always had. Now, you may still want to do that, but order one that just sounds ridiculous. Order one that you've never thought of before, never heard of before, and try it. Because if you constantly teach yourself to try new things, that will actually come into your mental gym and you will actually try new things in business, new CRMs, new ideas of marketing. You'll be a lot more open to challenge and change if you just try something as trivial as ordering a new appetizer you've never touched. I love that idea. And I have to ask the follow-up question. Have you ever ordered an appetizer and regretted it? More times than not. Um <laughs> I just, some of the things I put in my mouth, I was in Tokyo a couple of years ago and I didn't know these things existed. Um, and some of the stuff I put in my mouth, I was like almost physically ill. Um, yeah. But hey, I've trained myself to always try. So even though, um, but there were other appetizers that I was like, wow, I couldn't believe what that was. But the fact is, even though I tried it, my head was still working out and still training itself to always be open to change, always to be open to discovery. So while it tasted horrible, I still benefit. I love that. And now we have our final arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Ooh, ooh, that is good. Um, and you've kind of stumped me because I would actually, the trouble with the word why not is it's confrontational. The, the, my favorite word, and I actually talk about this, and I actually talk about it in my book as well. Um, I, I'm a great believer that why is the most um, uh, confrontational and violent word out there. It really upsets people. Uh, but I think it is the most powerful word because it instigates a conversation and it triggers a reaction. People will text me, they will uh, DM me, they will send me a message or an email, and they will go, hey, Steve, we should get together for dinner. You know, that'd be great. I will always respond with, why? And some people find it very offensive. And they're like, oh, you, you've got an ego. I heard you were cool. You know, go screw yourself. I've heard all of those kind of things before. But then I get people going, good question. Well, I wanted to discuss with you this, and that shows respect and value of my time. So why not is a good question, but it's too confrontational because um, it's demand. Why not? You know, there's, there's almost like a bit of an aggression behind it. 
But why is also an offensive word, but I think it, um, it triggers a conversation. So I would go with why. Now, Steve, we are here today to talk about, you know, sometimes we say we're here to talk about your book or something like that. But really today we're here to talk about your life. You are able to connect people and provide opportunities in people's lives in a way that many other people aren't. And we have a lot to learn from you today about connecting with other people and communicating more effectively. First of all, I just love to hear you describe what you do. If someone if someone is sitting next to you on a plane, for instance, and they say, "Hey, what do you do?" They might be expecting, you know, a, a, a nice, well boxed answer. What is your answer that you would give to someone who asks you that question? Do you know? Funny enough, it depends on what the person, whether or not I want to have a conversation with the nah. person. But if I want to, if I don't want to have a, a conversation, I'll probably just say I'm a plumber. But uh, no disrespect to plumbers, uh, but. Um, if I want to have the conversation, I may just look at them and say, I can make your cocktail stories more interesting hmm. and just drop that nugget and wait for them to go, how do you do that? And then it'll be things like, well, have you ever wanted to go down to the seabed and see the wreck of the Titanic? Maybe sing on stage with the Rolling Stones, play drums with Guns N' Roses, or maybe even get married in the Vatican by the Pope. That's what I do. So what is the path? That someone maybe who's in high school or college looking to become the next Steve Sims. What's the what's what's the pre-made path to get to where you are today? Fail, 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 and fail a lot more. Um, I'm here because quite simply, I probably failed more than you. I I have always hated the idea of planning. I remember at school we were being taught things to do a business plan. And I thought to myself, what's the point in doing a business plan? We have no idea what's coming around the corner. In fact, I defy any of you to show me a business plan last November that said, come the early part of 2020, all my business will be shut down because of the coronavirus. We have no idea what's coming our way. So to do a 60-page business plan, I've just thought is ridiculous. So if I can't put it on the back of a postcard, I don't do it. So I've always been the guy that says, well, I'd like to throw a party. All right, I'm going to throw a party Saturday night, 8 p.m. And, and I'll announce it straight off the bat. And so I will go and do things, and I learn from doing. Um, a friend of mine once said to me, uh, get going, then get good. So whether it be podcasts, speaking on stage, writing books, um, even trying to connect affluent people into amazing things, I have failed more times than I've been successful but those failures have taught me everything that I've needed to become successful. So if you've got thick skin, you're ready to for scars, you're ready to fall over, get hurt, get laughed at, get discounted, then um, you may well have what it takes to be the next Steve Sims. But trust me, I aim higher than me. <laughs> now, before we started recording, you were talking about the coronavirus, and you just brought it up again, said you think that this is going to to change some things. Could you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, we a common word now, a tagline that we've heard about is social distancing. And everyone's talking about social distancing six feet apart. And have you noticed how the planet doesn't like this? We are aggravated. We are actually, we're doing anything that we can to kind of like get closer to people, whether it be through virtual, through the bottom line of it is we started social distancing about 15 years ago with Friendster and MySpace, and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's over 500 social platforms out there today. We can only name usually 10 
Um, but there's around 500, and I'm constantly being invited to the new, you know, top-level social platform for movers and shakers. It's all BS. The bottom line of it is we're humans. We need to connect. I don't care about if you're leaning up against a car you don't own. I want to have a conversation with you, and that will dictate whether or not I want to connect with you. So I think the coronavirus has put a full stop and gone, okay, you know, you you think you don't need to talk to anyone because you just throw your comments up on Twitter. Now you can't. And they always say you'll only miss something when it's gone. Well, trust me, it's gone. You can't knock on someone's door. You can't go down to a bar. You can't flirt with someone at a a bus stop. You can't do any of this now. You can't strike up a conversation in a coffee shop, and everyone is desperate for it. I go out walking around here uh, with my dog, and other people are walking their dogs, and they're on the side of the street. And I walked around corners and just heard these yells, these not screams, but these loud voices as people are having conversations across the street with neighbors that in 20 years of them living there, they've never spoken to. We are desperate to connect. The coronavirus has done a good thing to us. It's put a full stop and removed the ability for us to communicate. And I'm just praying that all of that that you hate missing out on now, you won't forget once it's gone. Because let's be blunt, it ain't going to be around long. It is going to get sorted. It is going to get fixed. We are going to get vaccinated. It'll be gone. But we do need to remember that we still need to communicate with people. And I'm praying that sticks around a lot longer than the coronavirus. You just talked about connecting with people well. It's something that you obviously do and hopefully something that people around the world are learning how to do again, perhaps. What would be some recommendations that you would give to people on how they can connect with people better? Don't email. Don't email. Don't tweet. Don't text too much, but definitely don't email. Anyone that's in your world that you can get away with sending an email to isn't really a relationship, but you haven't got a lot to do. You're saving about two hours a day because you're not actually traveling to work. You're not wasting time on lunch hour. You're not wasting time, you know, getting water at the water cooler or going for a coffee. You've got so much more time in the day now. Every day, make 10 phone calls and phone people that you care about, whether it be a prospect, whether it be a member of your team, whether it be an established client, maybe a family member, a school friend, someone that you saw something on social and you thought, oh, I haven't reached out to him for ages. Phone them up. If you feel uncomfortable about phoning, because a lot of people have phone phobia now, um, we don't like answering the phone and we don't like making phone calls. If you're concerned about it, get the phone on yourself and record a little video and then text them the video going, Robert, I haven't spoken with you for absolutely ages. I saw you said this on Facebook. Give me a call. Let's have a chat. Hey, jump on a Skype. Let's jump on a Zoom and let's talk it through. And just reach out to people. I am busier now than I have been last year. Hmm. All of my social gigs have been canceled. All of my speaking gigs. I had 16 speaking gigs over the next three months, and they've all been postponed. But I couldn't have been more busier than I am now. I've done uh, two appointments this morning. I'm doing this one with you now, and I think I've got like six other appointments for the rest of the day, and yesterday was worse. I had more, but I was so vibrant at the end of the day, tired, 
but vibrant because I'd been engaging with people, connecting with people, and forcing myself to actually speak to people that I hadn't spoken to for ages. And just out of the blue, and they were like, Steve, we haven't spoken for, what has it been, years? And it took this coronavirus to make that happen. But you should be connecting with people. Forget the email. If someone sends you an email, just to take it a little bit further, if someone sends you an email, phone them. Say, hey, Roger, I got your email, but I wanted to phone you. You'll be stunned at the response you get from people. Now, oftentimes when I interview someone, there's going to be a, a few weeks, if not months, between when the interview happens and when it's actually published. But because of the relevance of this conversation to our current context, I'm going to get this out as soon as possible. And I'd love for you to speak into people's lives a little bit right here. This this interview right here has been scheduled for a number of weeks. This was pre-most people knowing about the coronavirus that being said, you have to find other ways to fill up your time. And there are people right now who maybe are not used to working from home, who have to find new things to do. And like you said, people are able to communicate with the people around them more effectively. They're, they're finding the time and the space to do that. But how do people begin to think about refocusing their schedules so that they can be, I, I say, busier than ever, more productive than ever, despite the things that are happening around them? It's a strange time, and it's uh, uncomfortable for a lot of lot of people. Basically, you've been asleep, and at two o'clock in the morning, someone's just kicked you out of bed and gone deal with it. You know your your world's been turned upside down. You've got to connect differently. You've got to communicate differently. You've got to feel differently. Everyone out there at the moment, let's get this straight. Everyone out there at the moment is is moaning that you know everything's going wrong, everything's going down, no one's making any money. Are you kidding? Domino's has been doing incredible. DoorDash, Instacart, grocery stores, Amazon is going through the roof. The bottom line of it is you can choose whether or not you can be successful in this moment or not. Now, your success may not be financial, but let's say for argument's sake, I ask you a direct question. Do you think the coronavirus is going to be here in July 2021? And if I ask people that, most people would be like, no, it's not going to be around next year. Okay, do you think it's going to be around summer of this year? And most people will go, no, 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 it'll be gone by then. You know, we'll still have some effects. So the bottom line of it is you've got two to three months to be able to do anything from learn a guitar, lose weight. I bought a Peloton bike. You know, people can't see what I look like, but, you know, I'm 240 pounds of ugly. I could do with losing 10 pounds. <laughs> I bought a Peloton bike every single day. I'm on that Peloton bike for 45 minutes. I'm going to become fitter at the end of this coronavirus than when I went into it. We do a we do a 40-minute book now. Every day, the family get around on the sofa, and we read a book for 40 minutes, just 40 minutes. And then we, you know, we get on with the rest of the day. You've got to start scheduling your day. It's an uncomfortable time. And as a, again, someone way smarter than me, Joe Polish uh, said to me, get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think I'm exemplary at that. I get really comfortable in being uncomfortable. We have to pivot. We have to look at, okay, if I was on holiday for four months, what would I do to come out of the back end of this better? I'd read more. I'd train. I'd study. I'd learn the guitar. I'd learn a new language. You know, all of these things you can be doing, but what's going to happen, because most people are lazy, is there's going to be a news flash. There's going to be a breaking news alert that a vaccine has been able to cure three people. 
or a bunch of people. And it's now going to be distributed around the uh, the globe and the coronavirus will be over within a, a week, okay? And you're going to turn around and go, ooh, ooh, I, I better get ready for this. You know, I better get my new advertising. But, but I spent more last week on advertising than I had the month before. Hmm. I've got a budget for advertising over the next two months, which is probably three times what I had for last year. You got to focus on doing all of these things now. Now, I agree. You can't go out and buy or you can, but don't go out and buy a luxury car at the moment. Focus on your growth. Buy a book, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos, join courses. You know, I've got a course, I think I mentioned it to you, simsdistillery.com. I actually now have turned that into a community and I do live feeds on there answering people's questions. Get with people that you know have done something that you want to do and get them to help you build it up. But you've now got a fantastic time for you to be able to come out sharper, stronger, and to basically get to the first corner of that racetrack before everyone else when that news release comes out. I love that advice. And could you talk a little bit more about simsdistillery.com, what you're doing there, the community you're building, and the vision that you have for the change and the impact that people can make through that community? Yeah, we had, uh, it's been around for about a year and a half, and it was a course with loads of my videos and PDFs to download. But basically, it was a course. It was a self-digestible, you jump on, I think it's like 295 bucks a year. Well, I think it's quarterly at like 97 if you just want to try it. But it was a course. There was no interaction, and it, it kind of felt wrong to me. So luckily, and I think luck had a lot to do with it, back in November, we decided we don't want to do this. We want to talk to the people. If you're committing to me, I'm going to commit to you. So we started doing twice a month, and we call it first Tuesday, last Thursday. I will literally answer any question you have. Nothing's off the, off the table. Okay, you can ask about how I'm making money, how I'm losing money, what worked for me, what doesn't, how to do websites, how to pixelate, should I be using TikTok over LinkedIn, any question. And the thing is, anyone that does any Googling of me will know that I kind of know a few people. Mm. I am not the smartest person in the tool shed, but I know those that are. So what I do is I bring guests on. I bring my friends on to answer these questions. So we do have experts come and join me on the first Tuesday of last Thursday who who get brought into the community and answer your questions. You've got continual contact. And for anyone that's joining now, every video we ever do, we post it on the Sims Distillery. So you've now got a library of stuff that you can go back to on the advantages of TikTok, how to pixelate a website, what you should be focusing on, whether it be Facebook advertising or boosting, how to run LinkedIn, how to run a seminar, how to run a webinar, closing funnels, anything. We actually post those videos back onto simsdistillery.com so that it gives you um, a library. But more importantly, it's a way of connecting. We're, we're doing one, and this will come out after them, but we did a virtual cocktail hour where literally I made a cocktail, I sent everyone a Zoom link, and we had something like about 80 people join us on this Zoom link, and I just showed them how to make a new cocktail, and then we just chatted and hanged for about an hour, asking questions, how's the end of the week, what are you going for, what's most terrifying you, and we talk, and we talk it through, 
And we've had some, uh, you know, we've had Jim Quick, Harvey Mizell, J.A. Bam, a whole bunch of people play with it. So it's been really good fun being able to help people get ahead of it and become more impactful. Because trust me, getting someone married in the Vatican is fun. Getting someone to alter that state of mind and actually see them walk taller and stronger and to the point of invincibility, that really sticks with you. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit from you about how you've been able to make those types of connections with people. How did you get to the Vatican? How did you get to interact with Sir Elton John? How did you get to interact with Elon Musk? Any other of these personalities that you've been able to connect with? What is the secret, and maybe not even the secret, what are the steps, what's the process, what's the mindset to begin interacting with people and, and making those connections, whether it's those people or any other number of people out in the world? Okay, so two things, and that's a beautiful question. The first thing is don't put anyone on a pedestal. Why would you put people higher and further away from you that you want to connect with? Okay, so people are people. Walk up to them with a value proposition. So if you want to connect with someone, I don't care if it's your local builder development. I don't care if it's your local head of the PTA, your local real estate agent, the head of a big company, Fortune 500, or the Elton Johns and Elon Musks of the world. Do a little bit of preparation and homework before you go and see them. Find out what they are working on, what charities they're working on. Is there a movie? Is there a foundation that they're working on? You know, are they doing a new um, I know, building project in your area? Whatever's going on, do a little bit of research on it and then find out if you can be a value to it. Go up and say, hey, I see you've got a new building development coming up. Um, Have you thought about how you're going to market it? Have you thought about the brochures? Have you thought about the advertising? Have you thought about the message on your advertising? Have you thought about an opening party? Have you thought about the color scheme of the inside? Whatever. And I'm picking on uh, a building development so you don't think this is all star stuff. Whatever you do, whenever you connect with anyone, got to give value. When I connected with Elton John, it was a case of, hey, you've got a foundation. You've got the Oscar party. I've got a way that I can get more uh, impactful, affluent people to come along and spend money on your auction items. Would that be a value? Yes, it would. Great. There's value. Mr. Elon Musk, I've got some people that want to come in and learn about something, but we can help perpetuate what it is you're doing within the industry and within the charities you're supporting. Would that be of interest? Yes, it would. I always focus on turning up with a solution. Now, here's something that may amaze you. When you find out about someone and what they're doing, and you turn up with a solution to that problem, nine times out of ten, They've already thought of that. And I've, I've gone up to people before and gone, hey, I believe you're doing this. I've got a solution to this. Is this, this, this. And they turned around. They've gone, we've already done it, released it, and we don't need that anymore. But because you came to them with a solution, you demonstrated that you were there to provide value. You demonstrated that you had done your homework. You demonstrated that it was a valuable thing for you to in, uh, engage in a relationship with this person to the point of you actually putting thought behind it. And I've had many, many times where people go, well, we don't do that anymore. But that's a good concept. Why did you come to me with that? And I'm like, well, I wanted to bring value to the start of my conversation. And so it's a good way of making sure you actually get people's attention by bringing value to the table first. So I'm going to ask this question, and it's going to be a strange question, but let's say that someone has heard what you've just said, and they go out and try it. They say, I followed Steve's advice as well as I knew how, and it didn't work. 
what usually has gone wrong in that process? Right. So it won't work. Um, And I say it won't work because, as I said to you before, there'll be a couple of positions. You could end up being there. You could say all the right things, but your eye contact could be crap. Your body language could show that you're submissive. You could be scared. You could be nervous. You could be shaking. You know, there's a million one reasons until you kind of build up your confidence that could be overpowering the message you're trying to give. So I always say to myself that if I got a no, it's because of two things. One, I asked the wrong person or I asked the wrong question. Now, there's nothing wrong, and I've done this so many times. You go back to the person that you were trying to connect with that told you to go away. You go back to them and you go, hey, um, I know we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I know, I know you weren't happy or you didn't want to proceed with our conversation but can you do me a favor and let me know, where did I lose it? And do you remember I said to you at the beginning, where did I go wrong? It's because quite often I had, a, I had a coaching client. I took a client and my client said to me, can you come into this proposal with me? And I said, sure. So I pretended I was his assistant and just was scribbling on a piece of pad in, in, mm. in the corner and watched him give this pitch to this company. And the company declined him. And he left the room dejected and upset. And we were in the car driving off. And I said to him, all right, so what are we going to ask ourselves? And he's going to go, well, I know what you're going to ask. And we're going to ask, where did it go wrong? And it, it all went wrong. And I lost the deal. I went, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Before you get on the pity party, where did it, it singularly go wrong? Because for one, your pitch to the people was interesting enough that they invited you into the room. So that was a success. In the room, you held the attention of all of those CEOs and those directors for an hour and 20 minutes. No one was flicking at the phone. They had eye contact. They were engaged. So you had success with that. Where did it go wrong? And apparently it came down to the pricing plan. And he only knew that because I said to him, Go back to him in a week's time and go, hey, I know I've got to know, and I'm not revisiting it, but if you could help me for my next meeting, where did I lose you? And they came back and they said it was the pricing plan. They had a more advantageous pricing plan from another competitor. So the next time he went to an event, he actually spoke up in this, because uh, he contacted me, he spoke up in the meeting and he said, look, there's many reasons that you may wish to say no. One of them may be pricing plans. We're flexible with the payment deadlines that we will work around your schedule. He got the deal because he'd focused on the single thing that went wrong and asked himself, even after a bad meeting, where it went wrong, because there's only usually one place it actually does. So when you're communicating with someone, and you don't get them going, oh, I love what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, here's my, here's my home phone number. Come over for coffee. You may have been successful in so many points of that conversation and lost it in one. Analyze where that one is and the next one you won't get it. Well, Steve, I love all of the things you've been sharing with us today. I know it's going to be valuable for the listeners. Before you go, could you give us one final thought, whether something that you would like to reiterate from our conversation today or something we haven't had the chance to talk about. What is the final thought you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, I did actually tell you that what my dad had said, and basically anyone that doesn't know me, you've got to understand that I left school at the age of 15 onto a building site. Um, my family wore bricklayers. Um, there was 
there, I won't say no intelligence, but we weren't the smartest crowd in East London. And now I'm getting to work with these people here. They were very direct, very transparent, and very focused. And I remember my dad saying to me once that the fight's not over when you go down. It's when you stop getting up. And today at the moment, we're in a fight. And we have no idea what's going to happen to us next week. We have no idea what's going to happen to us next month. But I am telling you, sure as Santa, that I'm going to keep on fighting. And if I go down a couple of times, don't be worried. It's when I stop getting up that that's the issue. Well, Steve, we have simsdistillery.com. You've already brought that up today as a way to connect with you. If people have liked what they've heard from you today, where else can people go to learn more about you and the work that you do? There's loads of free resources. I've got Steve D. Sims up on YouTube. Loads of my videos are up on there. You can listen to me on my podcast, The Art of Making Things Happen. There's no charge there. There's also a Facebook page called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. There is probably... Nine ways of getting hold of me that you don't have to pay and you still get a ton of information because I want to make sure that everyone is getting this information. So Google Steve D. Sims. Look me up on Instagram. There's no pictures of me leaning up against cars I don't own or sitting on private jets, but it's just me doing what I do and spouting what I spout. (laughs) All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. If you would like to connect with Steve Moore, be sure to check out the show notes below or at lifeasleadership.com slash 073. And if you're ready to jump all in, go ahead and go to simsdistillery.com. Now, the three key takeaways from today in order to help you connect with people better are these. First of all, don't email people too much. Everyone's getting email, and you need to make sure that you stand out from the crowd. Now, of course, sometimes you need an email thread in business to keep track of communication. But when possible, respond to an email with a phone call instead, or go ahead and take a quick video of yourself to send to them. The second takeaway is this. In order to connect with people, keep two things in mind. First of all, remember that people are people. Don't put people on a pedestal or separate them from you unnecessarily. Second, when you approach people, approach them with a value proposition. This requires you doing your homework and finding out what people are involved with and what they're passionate about. Even if they've already thought of or tried that value proposition, they will respect the fact that you came to them with an idea of how to help them out rather than coming at them with some request. And finally, if you get a no from someone, you likely either ask the wrong person or ask the wrong question. So when possible, follow up and see what you could have done differently in order to have connected with them more effectively. Now, for our second episode later this week, we're going to be talking to a best-selling author who is coming out with a new book that asks a question that you've probably never asked yourself before. And that question is this, what can leaders learn from the masters of comedy? And you might be surprised at some of the answers. I hope you'll join us then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. 
But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.